It is Wednesday, May 11th, 2022. I'm James Briarton. Welcome to an all-new edition of the Carolina Weather Group. Our guest this week is meteorologist Justin Ballard, who you may know from the South Carolina Public Radio Network, providing you forecasts and updates on severe weather. Or maybe if you're watching and joining us tonight from Florida, you know him from your local PBS, NPR, and public broadcasting stations as well. We'll get to know Justin in just a moment. First, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by all of those fine, fine supporters we have here at the Carolina Weather Group on our Patreon page. For just a dollar a month, you can unlock episode extras. And for $3.99 a month, the price of, well, a cheap cup of coffee, you can unlock early access to select episodes right here from the Carolina Weather Group. Thanks to everyone whose names are scrolling at the bottom of our screen right now for helping support what we do. You can sign up at patreon.com slash Carolina Weather Group to help us pay a few bills and meet those needs and another order of business join us sunday night live on youtube for live coverage of the lunar eclipse we're watching the possibility there could be some clouds scattered across the carolinas that could interfere with the viewing opportunity but nonetheless regardless of what the skies are doing locally we will have cameras trained on that lunar eclipse late sunday night look for coverage to begin by 10 p.m eastern time and we'll, we'll continue until a little after midnight when the thing will be peaking so we hope that you will join us for that all right that's enough for me here is this week's new episode of the carolina weather group good evening everyone welcome to the carolina weather group we're happy to have you this evening we're going to be talking with our friend justin ballard with us a meteorologist from the university of florida and uh you may recognize justin as well from doing some work on sec tv which is uh i'm sorry sec tv yeah i got that right south carolina educational tv public radio and public tv so you probably uh, have seen justin or heard justin's voice uh during some of the forecasts as well as florida storms and uf weather and also his connection to North Carolina. Since we talked about South Carolina, he's an alum from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. So a fellow uh, or a 49er uh, for those folks who uh, may have went to uh, UNCC or currently at UNCC watching. So Justin, welcome to the show. It looks like Shay dropped off. He'll probably be back on here in a minute, but uh, uh, welcome. Oh no, I'm here. I just, had to get up is. To get, I just had to get up to refill my drink here. Not, not, not <laughs> alcoholic, by the way. Just to <laughs> uh, So J Justin, I uh, appreciate you uh, joining Shay and I tonight. And uh, our first question to you is uh, kind of a, a question we always ask everyone. And that's how did you catch the, the weather bug? How did you get uh, caught up in this industry and say, you know what, I want to be a meteorologist? Well, I appreciate you having me, uh, Scotty and Shay. Uh, you know, the weather bug is it. I think it bites everyone kind of a similar way. And, you know, if you agree with me, let me know. But uh, it was an experience I had with weather. Um, July 6, 2001, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, little, uh, well, I say little, but it was a pretty infamous tornado uh, that kind of strolled right along the Grand Strand. Uh, that really is what piqued my interest. I was already interested before. I would trace out weather maps and present them in my room like an absolute nerd. Uh, but hey, I well I wear that hat with pride, uh, and you know that was the solidifying um, weather event, if you will, the uh, July six two thousand one. I will remember that day for really the rest of my life, I'm sure. Let's kind of transition. So you you become uh, in love with the weather at a young age, and then going through uh, the choices of school, you picked UNC Charlotte. So what kind of drew you to uh, to UNC Charlotte and be like, you know, I want to be a 49er? 
Well, it was several factors. One, I, I've always loved Charlotte. I am originally from Lincolnton, North Carolina. So rural, rural North Carolina. Uh, you know, always had this fascination with being in a bigger city. So Charlotte was obviously the closest big city to me uh, without having to go too far from, from friends and family. On top of that, it was a school where I could not only get, you know, my meteorology background, but I could also get some broadcast background as well. So I know UNC Asheville has a more broadcast path. I wanted to go UNC Charlotte because it was broadcast or, you know, non-broadcast. So it kind of covered all of it uh, just in case there was a, you know, a plan B outside of broadcast for me. But so far, knock on wood, there's no, there's no plan B. I'm still firmly in broadcast and have no intentions of going anywhere. But uh, the big city feel and the, the general meteorology uh, program is what kind of drew me to that. Uh, so kind of take us through the stepping stones to uh, where you're eventually at now in Gainesville. So after leaving, leaving UNCC, what, what was the next step? There was a very long six-month waiting period from <laughs> when I graduated to when I got my first job. Uh, my first job was at uh, WREX uh, in the NBC affiliate in Rockford, Illinois. So quite a different uh, climate, we'll say, from Western North Carolina to Northern Illinois. Uh, my first winter, 2018, 2019, we had almost 60 inches of snow uh, during the entire season. That was the, the most snow that I had, you know, obviously seen in my life. But thankfully, the, the winters thereafter were a little bit, um, certainly not milder, but less snowy, I'll say. <laughs> um, negative 60 wind chills. Yeah, I don't, I didn't want to have to do that, but I grinned and bared it, uh, got through it just fine. I also covered um, derecho last year. Uh, not last year, 2020, sorry. What is time anymore? Uh, and corn sweat. So, you know, the Midwest is such a wide range of, of weather phenomena from winter to summer and everything in between. So I, I say if you're going into broadcast or meteorology in general, I think you should go there first because your basis is going to be amazing, you know, from there on out. That's just my opinion, though. a little bias. Now you're at UN, uh, University of Florida. You're doing some work with uh, the television station down in Gainesville. Uh, you kind of do a lot of things in your current position. So uh, let's talk about what you're currently doing and maybe some of the work you're doing with the University of Florida students. And then I know Shay's going to want to talk about getting ready for the tropic season. So uh, we can kind of go off of that. And then another thing I want to talk about, you and I had this conversation, I think it was last week, and it's, it's messaging multiple day severe weather threats when we're actually recording this April 13th, there's been a multiple day severe weather threat. So uh, we want to hit on that as well. So a lot of things to talk about. So you guys stick around with us who are watching. So uh, Justin, tell us uh, what you're currently doing there in Gainesville. And I know you're wearing a lot of hats. Too many hats really, but uh, yeah, I, I, I do wear a lot of hats. So we'll start with kind of the operational side of things on a day-to-day -day basis. I am responsible for weather and television tapings uh, for our local market, which is Gainesville Ocala. For those of you that are interested in or care about uh, television ratings, television markets, it's market 159, 158, somewhere around in that market area. Uh, however, I do work with the PBS station or the PBS affiliate here, so I don't really, we don't really look at market sizes. Anyway, um, enough of that. We, I work with students uh, specifically when it comes to broadcast 
So I help them kind of hone their skills Monday through Friday. I'm with the students uh, from two, two o'clock to six o'clock in the evening, kind of helping them put their show together, forecast the, uh, the, for, uh, the, um, the weather, <laughs> obviously, and helping them tell that weather story. So we do not officially have yet, hopefully we will very, very soon, uh, a meteorology program here at the University of Florida, but we do have an immersion program. So that's where I come in uh, to play with the students at least. On top of the teaching and the operational side of things, radio, television, all that good jazz, I am also part of the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network and the South Carolina Emergency Information Network. So we cover two states, which, you know, I mean, at least Florida and South Carolina, a lot of the times the weather is happening on the same day. So that's nice, um, you know, but we cover the entire states of Florida and South Carolina, 13 markets or 13 stations, I should say, in Florida, uh, from Pensacola to Miami. There was, uh, you know, Hurricane My uh, Michael in 2018. We were the only station in Panama City that had the ability to broadcast a signal uh, in Panama City because we, are, of course, are landlocked, you know, uh, in Gainesville, about an hour, hour and a half from either coast. Uh, and we have a pretty hardened up sort of um, system. So a lot of redundancy, if you will, to keep us on air when people need it the most. And in an instance like Hurricane Michael a few years ago, people did need it. Uh, you know, had to listen to, to us in the car, but that's fine. Uh, they were still getting that important information um, during a pretty, you know, stressful and scary time, to be very honest. So um, our work is really in broadcast, but more so on the radio side of things, uh, at least with FPRIN or the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network and uh, SCETV. Think about the generations, right? You have the younger generations, you have older generations. Like we know how to tune a radio. We do the hand knobs on radio. I mean, we, but now things are a little bit different. We have technology. So tell us how on all stations, like if you, if, if you have, um, with all the technology in your car and you want to get to a radio station that has information, talks about the hurricane, where do they go? We are on FM channels. So um, I know in Gainesville, it's like 89.1, 90.1. I should know this for sure off the top of my head. Don't, you know, don't put me on that, but that's around the range that we're, we're mm -hmm. in. Uh, we're all FM um, with my side of things on the F friend. One thing, Justin, um, and I know we'll get to hurricanes and, and tropics here in a second, but you uh, touched on a point that, um, that I'd like to talk a little bit about, and that's you're helping shape and prepare students to go into broadcasting, uh, into meteorology. So, I, I know we can't just limit it to five, but what are like the top five things that you that you're telling students right now? What are what is it they need to focus on, or or kind of really hone in on their skills? So I want to add that I, not only am I working with students, I'm in the five number five top five, uh, I should say, for journalism students, uh, top five universities. So that's kind of cool. Anyway, uh, the five things that I would say one, and this is such a humongously uh, important part of what we do being able to communicate effectively. And I feel like that's such a cliche and tired answer, but being able to effectively communicate, not just with what you're saying, with uh, body language, at least for broadcast meteorologist is huge. Um, you know, the audio visual linkage, you've got to, all of those things tie into communication. You've got to be able to do it effectively. Um, two, being able to adapt and quickly change messaging if you need to. Um, 
I use a personal example of mine, you know, August 10th, 2020, we were under a marginal risk for severe weather. Within six hours, we were under a moderate risk for severe weather. Um, I'd never had to deal with that kind of ramp up from one of five to four of five, uh, as, as I call it, that quickly. So that was the learning lesson. There was pre-Derecho Justin and post-Derecho Justin. Post-Derecho Justin was on his uh, P's and Q's when it came to communicating between myself and, and the newsroom and myself and people watching and listening. Um, to number three, those are, those are so, so important thing, uh, two very important things. I would say learning your community, uh, learning where you're at, um, town names, you know, uh, landmarks, for instance. Um, I pointed out a dollar uh, Walmart a few months ago in uh, tornado coverage. So, I mean, those small things that uh, kind of go the extra mile. Um, be ready to wear the, the science reporter hat. You know, you're, you're a meteorologist or you're training to be a meteorologist. That's great. But there's so many more instances where you're going to be asked to talk about volcanoes or you know earthquakes. Wear that, wear it with pride. And network, network, network. That's number five. Um, without networking, you're not going to have, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be successful, I'm sure, but it's gonna be much slower than it, should, than it could be if you network. I would almost propose that we, we scale back a few of the math classes and add a few more communication classes. Uh, because in this day and age of communicating via social media, TV, there's so many ways that we communicate with people now. That is almost as important as, as all these math equations that, that people have to go through to, to get their degree in. Uh, there's some really great communicators and there's not some really great communicators. And, uh, and that's so important in our business now that uh, I, I know that may be a little controversial, so I don't mean to start anything, but Scotty woke really, up in just violence this morning. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I really, Scotty, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, we we're, we have to be yeah. bilingual. We have to be bilingual in this science. We have to learn how to translate what we ingest to the public in a method that everyone understands, right? And you can you can have a little fun, be a little sciencey to teach, make some educational points, but it's all of the delivery. You know, that's yeah. really what it's about. Like National Weather Service, I think, Matt, those math classes are great because there is that, like you said, you chose UNCC because there's kind of like two paths you can take. Either you can take broadcasting or operational. But if you're solely strictly on the broadcast, maybe you cut down one of those math classes or two and you add an additional communication class or, or something, social science class or something along those lines to, to kind of help because that is your primary uh your primary job is to communicate that where the weather service is more behind the scenes, helping with government emergency management. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not dissing math by any ways, but I, I feel like communication is, is such a big thing in this day of, you know, it's all done right here on our phone. You know, it's just, it, it, you know, you have to work Twitter and Facebook. And I mean, now we're doing TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram. I mean, there's so many ways to communicate that, that, you know, I feel like we need to be really good at communicating and, and in some departments we're not. You, you're talking about pointing out locations. That, that's one thing I love about James Spann. I mean, he can tell you about the Dollar General down here in, in Talladega County. You know, he, he, knows, he knows his area and he knows how to, 
how to resonate with his folks who are watching it. And I just, he's a great communicator. And, um, you know, I just wish, wish we could focus a little bit more on that. So. Last week, Anyways. before last, I was watching him and he literally mentioned a gravel dirt road. I'm like, how do you know that? <laughs> Yeah, but but you you know that that point that you're making to your students is a great one. Is you need to connect with the community that you're serving, and you know trust is a big thing. And once you win that trust over, you know they're going to listen to you when they when you say seek shelter. You know there's a tornado warning for your area. So Justin, I know we've seen the Colorado State University. We had uh, Phil Klotz back, and and Michael and those guys come up with their forecast that's based on William Gray, legendary guy, just one of those in the field that. He left a, a great legacy behind, and those guys are taking that forward 100%. Um, you know, we've seen that we're in a weak La Nina, and we know what that means for the Atlantic Basin. It typically spawns a little more tropical activity or above average season. So let's just back up a second before getting on to that science. When, when you think tropics, and here we are in April, we're starting to get into May, where we start to maybe see a little activity ahead of our, our official hurricane start of June the 1st. But what do you think with tropics? Like when you when you sit back and you say, okay, I'm ready to start looking at the tropics. What what is it that you look at first? Like let's talk about how you get you how you work your way into the season and prepare for it. This is going to be my first year um, working closely in an area that is all tropics weather driven. Uh, that's you know our bread and butter in terms of coverage when we're talking you know the year the January through December. So. I, I'm really not even sure. Uh, I will tell you where I'm starting uh, or where I've been starting over the last couple of months is learning geography because again, we cover the entire state. So I have had to learn county by county, but there's 67 counties in Florida. I have to know all of them. That's a lot of counties. Uh, but we are starting to get into kind of the more operational like mindset. Uh, we have a set protocol um, that we follow from basically the, the lifetime of, uh, you know, the very beginning of a tropical system, whether it's a storm, a hurricane, you know, whatever, uh, to the end. So we are brushing up that plan uh, and going through it right now and kind of practicing. Practice is, I think, the big thing that we have to um, think about and get prepared for because, it's just like going into severe weather season. You know, we try and do a couple of mock-ups for severe weather season. And if you don't, you're going to be rusty. So same kind of idea with hurricane uh, coverage or tropical system coverage. We've got to get used to that again because it's been a while since we've had to use it. Um, I was telling Scotty before we started, you know, I started here in October. And by that point, early October, by that point, for the most part, the tropical season had kind of come to an end last year mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. we didn't have or I didn't have a lot of experience with uh with last year's season so I'm, I'm really looking forward I'm anxious admittedly but I am looking forward to getting started with this year's season especially since I have no experience with with forecasting tropical storms necessarily or hurricanes Understood. or at least from an operational standpoint Florida is is usually you know it, it sticks right out there and, and it catches a lot of storms every year so there's there's a lot to figure out there with the weather and sea surface temperatures involved and everything, but I also see on your website that you guys cover, you know, evacuations, right? We have to start thinking about infrastructure and what the population looks like now in Florida in each county when evacuations are ordered and how those are ordered. So I know on your website, you have, how will I know whether to evacuate? Do I have to stay in a public shelter? So some of these things you guys start thinking about logistically 
And uh, also, you also have some building code information. So let's talk about kind of these things that you guys talk, you know, do in your in your um, in your position there. So what we do in terms of the emergency aspect, emergency management aspect of things, is we are in direct communication with emergency managers in you know whatever. Let's say um, you know, trying to think of a county along the coast. Let's say Miami Dade, uh, you know, the most populous county in the state of Florida by far. Uh, we are in direct communication with those folks uh, when weather looms, and it most assuredly will at some point this season, if not in Miami, somewhere in the state of Florida. So we're in direct communication with them, and we have that constant feed between emergency management emergency managers here as well uh, in Miami-Dade. So we have that uh, boots on the ground, if you will, uh, for, for kind of updates and live reports. When the weather does warrant, uh, you know, we'll do pretty much hour long uh, radio, live radio updates uh, throughout the course of, of the day. Uh, again, I've not had to experience that yet, but it basically uh, entails 12 on and 12 off for, for a staff meteorologist. So it is all, all hands on deck. You're not leaving the building even if you want to, sorry about it. Um, that's kind of our approach uh, to when it comes to, uh, to the emergency management side of things. Well, what, how do you communicate that multi-day hazard? I mean, we can relate that to severe weather season, tropic season where we can see hurricanes coming from three, four days out, you know? So how do you, how do you continually keep that uh, message going out and, and making it relevant uh, multiple days? I think where I struggle the most is when we have these uh, day in and day out sort of marginal severe weather days. Uh, those tend to be the most difficult to, um, to communicate because marginal, you know, what does that mean? First of all, let's talk about what does marginal mean? <laughs> what does, what does marginal mean? Okay. So I had, you know, in Rockford, I covered five counties, uh, and, you know, real hard to remember, I know, but, um, I covered five counties when I, was communicating what a marginal meant, I would explain that basically, uh, you know, marginal risk means that, you know, of those five counties, one may see some strong or severe storms. Uh, that's to me, that just seemed like the most logical way of explaining it to connect it with what the viewer, because yeah, marginal, what the heck does that mean? What does slight mean? Mm -hmm. um, all terminology aside, um, it's, it really can get exhausting when you have these multi-day events, especially if they're high impact. And very often, as we've seen this week, they are higher impact, um, you know, across the Dixie Alley and across a traditional quote unquote tornado alley. So um, I, I guess where you start is day one doesn't need to be all of the energy all at once. You've got to realize that you've got to kind of save, reserve that energy for the days to come, because it, it truly is tough physically and emotionally if you're expounding all of your energy on day one of a three or four day long potential outbreak. You said you grew up in Lincolnton. So I was curious, um, growing up as a kid, did you have any uh, meteorologists that you looked up to like in, in the Carolina areas? It's uh, it like, man, I, I like that person. I want to be like them. Honestly, I mean, prerequisite, of course, Brad Panovich, WCNC. Um, I was in his weather communications class and I interned with him. So I, you know, I wouldn't, I don't think I would be where I am now without, you know, the, the, the building blocks, if you will. 
but really, I mean, all three of, of, or all four stations, really, I think there's five even at this point, yeah, yeah, five. Uh, you know, all five stations have meteorologists that I love and follow Steve Udelson, you know, Brad Panovich, uh, now retired Eric Thomas deserves every ounce of retirement that he can get. Uh, the list just goes on. Every single one of them was, was absolutely phenomenal. And, and I would say key aspects of why I am where I'm at now. Yeah. But fun little anecdote before, before, um, uh, before we, we do leave, Steve Udelson mentioned, I met him when I was in sixth grade, I believe. And he said, you know, you got to be real good at math and science. And up until then, math was uh, not my strong point and still isn't. Let's just be very clear. But I was able to, you know, put the nose to the grindstone from sixth grade there on and, and managed to, to get a math minor. So I like to throw that in. You know, uh, any I, get. I made it. I, I made Justin mad earlier from my conversation. I seen it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I I think you had a very valid point, though. Honestly, yeah, you know, I I, I text my buddy as like, oh, I started a war here on Carolina Weather Group, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's something though. It's something fun to you know, not fun, but it's something to to at least look at in, in this day of communication. So, um, Frank Strait's not here, so I'm going to ask some of Frank's fun questions here about Gainesville. Florida. Okay. So, uh, for anyone, I know you're still kind of new to the area, but you've been there a while to at least be able to. Uh, my dog is pollen season. Oh no! <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you've been in, in Gainesville long enough to kind of know some of this. So, you know, if anyone's coming down to Gainesville, uh, what what are some must things, uh, must see, or must do things uh, there in the area? One thing I've not seen yet, and I had a dream about this last night. I'm not sure why. Alligators. I've not seen an alligator yet. But maybe at some point, um, you know, if you're if you're alligator spotting, there's a couple of uh, good locations for it. I've not been to any of those yet. But downtown downtown Gainesville is absolutely gorgeous. Um, there is a theater called the Hippodrome that is um, I don't know what colors they're they're lit up in now, but they they light up the the building every night. It's just absolutely gorgeous. So Gainesville is a fairly small town, uh, 125 thousand ish people but the traffic here is just outrageous because of the university I, of course I can for that <laughs> yeah so if you if you've driven through Gainesville you know it's a slow drive because of the university uh traffic but uh, you know anywhere along the um anywhere on the university is a gorgeous spot to visit there's lots of cool things to do you know you you think a town of 125,000 may not have a lot but we've got I experienced boba for the first time. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like um, rice flour balls, basically. It's kind of a, a big deal over uh, overseas, but it's delicious. <laughs> They're like boiled in brown sugar syrup and put in the bottom of tea. Uh, you know, all these kind of cool, funky experiences that you may not have, have thought would ever exist in the town of 125,000, and they're everywhere. Favorite place to eat in Gainesville, or maybe a couple of favorite places to mm. eat. Okay. Um, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm getting. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> I'm getting blasted off. Um, favorite places to eat. There's so many. Uh, we try and avoid um, chain restaurants. Chain restaurants have a special place in my heart, but we do try and go somewhere different uh, every time. I would say Dragonfly Sushi is probably the best sushi I've had um, yet in Gainesville. I'm not saying there's not better places out there yet. I just haven't come across them. 
it's what I like to call special sushi. So like special, you know, occasions, birthdays, anniversaries, things of that sort. So if you're ever down here for a UF game, go Gators. That's right. Um, that's, that's, I think, a good spot to go. And it's in downtown. So again, it's all walking distance to the Hippodrome. It's gorgeous. So if there was an ideal time to visit Gainesville, uh, when would you suggest? For someone who lived through 60 degree below wind chills, <laughs> I think the winter here is fantastic. Uh, I am not a fan of warm weather. So how I found myself here uh, is beyond me. But uh, that's neither here nor there. I really think the winter, uh, January, February, were both absolutely gorgeous months. Um, and it was chilly, sure. Uh, and it, does, it didn't take my body long to adjust to... Uh, Florida when I was turning the heat on at 49 I was like oh I've, I've definitely changed over the course of a couple months uh, I would say the spring months spring months and late winter once you get out of the the frost potential late January early February if folks want to follow you on social media how can they do that very simple I'm on Facebook uh, Twitter as well on Instagram and it's all the same Justin Ballard WX <laughs> Awesome. Very go. deliberate in my in my approach. <laughs> well, it's good that they're all the same place. So you can just give the general handle out and, and people there can you find go. you. So, well, Justin, we appreciate your time with us tonight. And uh, we do wish you the best of luck this year. And uh, I know uh, tomorrow night is the big orange and blue game, uh, spring football game for the Gators. So I hope that goes out well. And so you cheer on the Gators for me since I, I won't be able to attend. But uh, until then, we appreciate you uh, joining us. And Appreciate you all watching us here on the Carolina Weather Group. We'll see you back here real soon.